The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Here's Brandon. Welcome back to Old Space Show. I am Brandon, and this is my co-captain. You know, something's on. Jim. <laughs> Space, the final old frontier. Yes. This installment of Old Space Show continues our episode-by-episode episode travelogue through the second season of Space 1999, where the moon is in orbit, or it's knocked out of orbit, actually, wandering through outer space, the population of its human-built colony hoping to stumble upon a new home. Today, we are talking about the 17th and 18th episode. Yeah, big episode today. The Bringers of Wonder, parts one and two. Holy mackerel. Everyone on Moon Base Alpha is electrified by the arrival of a spaceship from Earth. Everyone, that is, except Commander Koenig. Where others see long-lost friends and relatives, he sees hideous aliens bent on taking over the Moon Base. All right, this one is directed by Tom Clegg. Written by Terrence Feely. And guest star Stuart Damon, Jeremy Young. Tony Robbins, Drew, almost there, Henley, Patrick <laughs> Westwood, Billy J. Mitchell, and Nicholas Young. All right. We've had Clegg before. He's done does five episodes of the series. He mm. did Journey to Where, and Feely did New Adam, New Eve. For guest stars, though, Stuart Damon, Jim. Stuart Damon. Known Second that, time on the show, actually. That's right. He was on Matter of Life and Death mm-hmm. not too long ago. He was probably best known by people who were watched by their grandmas in the 80s and uh, Hos- 90s on General Hospital as Alan Quartermain. Yeah. One of the main leads on there. I mean, General Hospital, it cannot be understated how huge that was in the 80s. Right. Uh, so see he was on the again, spinoff, too, Port Charles. That's right. That's right. He was. And it was it was wild to see him here again. Like I said, second time on the show on yeah. uh, 1999 as well so yeah dude also did yeah he did as the world turns days lives he was in uh fossey's star 80 though too that was oh wow yeah. that's a creepy little movie yeah <laughs> indeed uh jeremy young and patrick westwood just a lot of british tv from those guys nicholas young uh he was in the tomorrow people uh it was a big show and lots of british tv mm-hmm. it was uh, syndicated here in the in the states as well Right. And Toby Robbins, she was uh, Melina Havelock's mom in For Your Eyes Only, the uh-huh. James Bond movie. And last, Billy J. Mitchell. You might remember him from his, uh, uh, let's, what we call it, uh, his encounter with the anal intruder in uh, Top Secret. Oh, my. Yes. <laughs> Guy who died with a smile on his face. Oh, dear. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, two part the first ever two part episode on 
Space 1999, and last, I, I believe, I don't think we have another two-parter. Not um, only that, not only that, Tony and Alan, both top billing. top billing, they share top That's billing. What I yeah, yeah, yes. I was, that was my first note. I was like, holy crap. They, 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 this must have been after they got to an agreement with um, the actor who played Alan. But yeah, that, that's an interesting thing to happen because it was either one or the other. And then now both. So this one starts off really wacky. Like I yes. was like, wait, what? Did I miss something? There is a Koenig is out in... He's a, drunk AF, man. Yeah, There's no other way eagle. to put it. He's singing Dude. to himself. He's sing, He's like, uh, a, you know, like laughing and like, and he's 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 out. He of says, drunk. "Look, ma, no hands." Yeah, it is Lando, like you have never seen before. And like, I, I the song he sang, like. I don't know. When people are drunk, they usually sing, you know, 99 bottles of beer or whatever. But he was like, join our merry band, join our merry band. I'm like, what is this from like the, um, you know, Leonard Nimoy, Bilbo Baggins album or something? I mean, what? I don't know. It was just really funny to see him play like that drunk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But but I imagine like Martin Landau as a, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong as a, you know, as a person in real life really doesn't get that loose that many times. So right. It's yeah. Kind of like a, it's kind of like a square person's interpretation of how someone would act if they were wasted. Yeah. I guess yeah. would be my best way to describe it. Well, like, yeah, it's weird. He does play a really good, if you ever see the movie alone in the dark, uh, with, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, he's really good creeper in that, but this is a whole nother level. Crazy. Yeah. What's well, a uh, different kind of crazy too. Yeah, he's checking out a surge of the in the neutron count near the nuclear waste domes. Yeah, he goes crazy. This so is they can't control his eagle remotely, um, and he flies and crashes close to the waste domes. And the and first thing I said, being a faithful Space 1999 viewer, I said, why don't they put that eagle on remote control? They've done it before. But right? as soon as I said that, Gosh darn it! If they didn't say that they could not do that because the controls were set on manual. Here we go. Good, good, good on you, Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. That's continuity. Good on you. It is. It is. The but yeah, you should be able to like master for take over from a erratic eagle. But you know, so Koenig's eagle strikes an antenna on one of them, uh, the domes, and lo he loses control. He crashes, but manages to put on his helmet before losing consciousness. That's important, okay? As the rescue eagle is dispatched with a few nuclear physicists sent along to check for any damage that cra crash may have caused, Koenig is pulled from the eagle, and there are no signs of complication from the impact with the domes. We get to see, like, a alpha firefighting crew at work removing yeah. from the eagle. That That's kind of cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Plus, they even had, like, that medical emergency tracking shot you see in all the medical shows, mm -hmm. right, where they had Koenig on the stretcher, and they're rolling him down the hallway. Right. great. <laughs> I was like, wow, I've seen that in every medical show, and now I've seen it on Moonbase Alpha. Good job. Yes, for the spinoff, the Moonbase Moon Alpha MD. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, seen elsewhere, indeed. And um, the, as, they're, as they're rolling, too, the, I don't know why, but um, his, his whole transition is being uh, accompanied by the funky bass line. Right, like, doom, yeah. Doom, 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 doom. I'm just like, is this really appropriate? This is like emerg an emergency situation. They're trying to save <laughs> the guy's life, and 
you know, Bootsy Collins is over here uh, busting uh, ace. This one I has mean. a really <laughs> funky, funky score between both episodes. Yes, it does. It does. Quite a few times the music uh, intrudes. You're like, wow, wasn't expecting that, you know? Yeah. Uh, Koenig's rushed back to medical center where Helena has him hooked up to an Ellendorf quadrographic brain complex. Okay. And if I could ask real quickly, why, why are they hooking him up to this thing? And by the way, part of this brain complex is the same, uh, doodad that Tony uses to brew beer. Right. If you notice that is that circle in in the Lucite square, it's the same part of, uh, Tony's still right. First Mm -hmm. of all, second of all, they call it an electronic brain massager. It doesn't sound good. And no. third of all, I'm like, why? Why do they have him hooked up to that thing? Why aren't they just like, you know, seeing if he's drugged or, you know, uh, just, you know, any other, why do they have this like weird, you know, quadraphonic stereo system hooked up to his, his brain, you know, for it, days too. It, it like goes on for hours and hours. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. So they this can make, make this episode a whole hour and uh, make the plot work. Right. There is a lot of padding in this double episode. Yeah. Although an experimental technology, Helena feels this may be Koenig's only chance for a full recovery. Back in command center, Sandra, hey, reports a sensor contact that turns out to be a ship moving towards Alpha faster than light speeds, or at faster than light speeds, when in visual range, the ship appears to be a super swift uh, originating from (laughs) Earth. It moves to land. Tony has Alpha's lasers aimed at the ship, but Sandra receives a transmission from the vessel and puts it on the big screen. Tony recognizes the captain of the vessel as his brother, Guido. Okay, as as un-Italian as Tony is on the show, (laughs) Guido is even less Italian. I do not know if Stuart Damon himself is of Italian descent. Yeah, but these guys have not Italian. They had to call him Guido. Yeah, it's like they're they it's almost like they're trying for an accent, but not quite putting the effort in. You know, it's just like are, are you going for this or not? You know? I it just was really weird. <gasps> Plus weird. and they they try to do the Italian brother like competitive thing too, and that yep. doesn't come off very well either. No, especially when you have the guy who plays Tony. Yeah. Who <laughs> everybody can compete with Tony. You look at him. I'm sorry. He probably was in this episode and said, Guido goes, wait, am, am I Italian? Is that <laughs> Space Italy. Clive Kander records the reunion as the crew, which consists of close friends and family of several of the Alphans, uh-huh. disembarks and is reunited with their loved ones. On the Super Swift with Tony's brother were Helen's old, Helena's old tutor, Dr. Shaw, Sure. Sa- Sandra's fiance, Peter Rockwell. Oh, uh, wait, stop there. They really did erase the hell out of Paul, didn't they? They did. Like, Paul and Sandra had the thing. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, out of the blue, oh, I was engaged to this dude. The whole yeah, time. what was up with that? Mm. I mean, yeah, I'm like, okay, but what about Paul? Different okay. uh, uh, galaxy codes, I right? Guess. I don't know. Uh, Ben's fiance, Louisa. And an old flame of Codex named Diana Morris, ha! among others, visiting, fr- visiting from the set of set- Sex in the City, Diana yeah. Morris. <laughs> hey, could you cut out my the my clothes? Could you cut out the boobs part? Yes, and the, uh, the side I, too. The the skirt. I need it slit all the way up to my waist, please. Could could you, I? I want to show cleavage, please. Like all oh. the cleavage that I have. 
Like, but it, <laughs> please, I don't care. I want Barbarella, not Space 1999. Please give me Barbarella. And it, uh, it's, I refer to her in my notes as Thirsty Lady. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Carter, he's got a buddy too. Like that's among these. Uh, right, right. Uh, so Helena cringes at the thought of dealing uh, with Diana Morris, but Doctor Shaw leaves her to deal with Diana, who has been oh, looking for John since she arrived. Two of the visitors leave command center, seemingly taking control of a medical technician they see in a hallway who returns medical center and attempts to kill Koenig by disrupting the brain complex that John is hooked up to. So, That's, Oh, first of all, um, you, you glossed over the cat fight. Mm-hmm. I, I even wrote in my notes, better get us some saucers of milk. <laughs> Because Barbara Bain and this whoever is playing the thirsty lady are just like really super catty to each other. Oh, space must be really wearing down on you. Blah blah blah. Like, oh, oh yeah, man, that's cold. Oh man. And then when the orderly gets hypnotized, you can tell he's being hypnotized because the theremin starts. Mm-hmm. As soon as right. he gets in there, like they start with the theremin, that's how you know something is wrong with the orderly. Yeah, and isn't there a the moment there with uh, Tony and his brother, like? He, he oh he's like it was Maya, and he goes, "Are they like oh, arm, like arm wrestle? wrestling in front of Maya with no table? Yeah, with no How do you table? arm wrestle without a table. <laughs> it's it's weird. or they're trying to reenact the end of Tango and Cash. I don't know. Uh, yeah, or the or the Jolene, you son of a bitch scene and yep. Predator, something yeah. like that. They're like shaking hands a lot and like, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's full of it, and it's like." the worst Italian accents through British accents ever. I usually just, dominate him effortlessly. It reminded me very much of the Star Trek episode shore leave mm-hmm. with like Kirk and Finnegan where he was just constantly antagonizing him. And oh, then as, yeah. and as the episode goes on, it ended up reminding me of a different episode of Star Trek, but we'll get oh. to that after the big, big spoiler reveal here. Yeah, which I mean, these people showing up with with Tony's brothers, like, oh, that's interesting. It's like, and I know somebody, and I know somebody, and it's like, okay, these aren't the people we think they yeah, are. Exactly. Like it's it's sus. They, they, totally yeah, you sus. don't even yeah, you don't even get a second to think you be, believe what you're seeing. Like, there's no you're like, all right, something's up here. And if and if there wasn't and if there wasn't any doubt, there's a scene where the doctor is talking to his fiance, right? And she's like distracting him from Koenig being killed by the orderly. <laughs> and then the doctor kind of goes and turns the monitor off so he doesn't have to see it. Right. Yeah. So, sums up. <laughs> so Dr. Vincent sees on one of the remote medical monitors that something is wrong with Koenig, but Louisa seems to have an hydro uh, hypnotic control over him. Uh, causing him to turn off the monitor. When Alan pulls Louisa away, her control is broken, and Ben runs to medical center, prevents Sandstrom from killing Koenig in command and center. Oh, go ahead. His name is Sandstrom, the orderly, because I wrote Sp- Tucker Carlson of space. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> he looks like Tucker Carlson, I'm sorry. And then um, there's a great uh, uh, guitar solo during this fight. There is, yeah. It's like a really like cool wah wah guitar solo going on while they're fighting, and um, they just keep like running into panels and sparks fly out of the panel they run into. That's a big thing on this show that happens all the time. And then he the the orders, I must kill Kadig. I must kill Kadig. Yeah. Oh man, it was funny. 
In the command center, Tony catches Maya trying to sneak off, not wanting to disturb the big reunion. He tries to allay her fears, but Diana Morris interrupts. She insults Maya, then proceeds to flirt with Tony. Maya transforms into a creature behind Diana, but Tony catches her and she reverts before Diana is any the wiser. I love you, Maya. You make a mockery of people. I wrote this uh, one of the lines here. Tony says, she's the last of her species. And the uh, thirsty lady says, I'm not surprised. <laughs> so, uh, Ben and Helena discuss the possibility of a connection between John's erratic, or John, John's erratic behavior and Sandstrom's attempt on Kenny's life, but no evidence could be found to connect the two. Koenig wakes and Helena tells him about the rescue ship. He listens with incredulity and her description of the Super Swiss crew until he realizes she is serious. He hugs her and they proceed to command center to join the reunion. We get a lip lock. We get a a big kiss. Still on uh, Koenig Helena lip lock here. Just to let um, you uh, shippers know that that Diana woman's not going to be a problem, okay? And Koenig doesn't remember being wasted at all. No. Like him doing all that stuff in the Eagle, he doesn't remember anything. Like it's a like, true drunk. Like an after-school special. Yes. Um, <laughs> when they arrive, John freezes upon entering, seeing not the friends from Earth he was told about, but grotesque aliens, which are... <laughs> Somebody with a tablecloth, uh, with an eyeball, with a tablecloth and slime all over them. I, mean, I know you're an MST guy, so I, I'm going to say the creeping terror. Oh, okay, yes, yes. And I'm going to cross him with Sigmund the sea monster. Yes, okay. <laughs> These aliens are hilarious. They are, and they like it's hilarious because in their alien form, they take forever to shamble anywhere, but like mm-hmm. in their human form, they're just moving normally in the normal pace, right? Yeah. Oh my god, it's just so so funny. And they have like Christmas lights inside of them. Right, and they're dripping and like all sorts of <laughs> they are just busy. They're a mess. They're, they're just a, a mess. <laughs> yeah. They are so, very busy. You're right. Uh, a lot going on. <laughs> he orders their ship to be destroyed, but Tony countermands this order. He tries to shoot one of the creatures, but Helena stuns him before he can shoot Tony's brother. Convinced that John I'm just Thinking of things. Uh, convinced that John is suffering from delusions. Helena puts him in restraints. Tony and Helena try to calm him down, but he remains very agitated and needs to be sedated. Maya contacts Tony, telling him that Candor has locked himself in the records lab, put the emergency oxygen full on, jammed the door, and is wrecking the place. Uh, Maya tries to get him out, but oxygen is ignited in the struggle, and Candor dies. Guido pushes Tony to select three people to return to Earth in a pilot ship before the Earth starts to move out of range. Uh, Back in command center, Tony draws for three lucky people, but the names he is reading are not the ones on the cards. He is clearly under the control of Guido and Dr. Shaw. Tony checks on Kodak in the medical center. And one Uh, of the people he picks is Alan. Al Carter. Alan and two randos. And two other dudes. Two semi-balding dudes and Alan. John tries to convince him that he is rational and that odds are against the rescue team all being friends and relatives and the three picked to return to Earth being on the nuclear monitoring team. Sandra alerts Tony that the pilot ship is ready to take off. John becomes agitated and is sedated 
The launch is watched in command center and all over base. I just, they sedate Koenig so much in this episode. It almost reminds me of the character in the Venture Brothers who's like addicted to Mm -hmm. the tranquilizer. (laughs) Yeah. It's just hilarious. There's some good stuff in here this time. Like there's a, Diana had a, this uh, line of, he's hard to kill this John Koenig. Yeah. And, uh, Carter, the ever loyal Carter, he wouldn't just cave in. Not John Koenig. I like the the faces and the expressions he was making as they moved uh, the dials on the brainometer that they had him hooked up to. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was some of it looked like they were pinching him in the bottom, and some faces were like O faces, and it was oh, funny. So, so uh, Alan Bartlett and Ehrlich find that they are approaching Earth with little. Ap- appreciable sense of time passing <laughs> beloved uh, characters Bartlett and Ehrlich <laughs> uh, they contact Alpha to let them know that Earth is in visual range and can barely contain their excitement as they approach Dr. Shaw visits the unconscious Sandstrom and plans plants a directive into his mind Sandstrom wakes and breaks free of his constri- restraints Tony and Maya are on their way to show Koenig images from the pilot ship approaching Earth to help convince him that things really are as they've been trying to tell him. Tony is attacked by Sandstrom, and Maya transforms into a kendo fighter, knocking out Sandstrom. We saw this kendo armor before, too. Yes, we did. First episode of the second season, I believe. This is true. Yeah. Um, So I like how they reuse stuff. That's good. Yeah, they are are in their last dimes in the season, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. Dr. Shaw enters medical center. I, I didn't know Maya could just, like, you know, I knew she could shape change, but I didn't know she could change clothes, too. Yeah, I've, I've got a real question about that uh, coming up in the second part of this. Uh, like, where did the sword come from? But anyway. <laughs> right. Uh, she could transform into a sword, maybe? I Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Shaw enters medical center where Koenig is still in restraints. John sees the repulsive creature approaching and strains against the straps that bind him until unable to free himself. He watches helplessly as it moves in. Ah, cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. What'll happen? The giant shambling mound of dripping carpet remnants is going to get Koenig. (laughs) Tune in next week. To an all-new space, 1999. Yeah. How will he survive? You know what, though? That cliffhanger's better than some of the yuck yucks that are the epilogues of these. Oh yeah, I'd rather have the cliffhanger than the uh, the attempted humor. Yeah, absolutely. Right. A lot of hanging out in this episode. Yeah. This uh, this this double uh, episode had a lot of padding in it. There's yeah. a sequence, especially later, that just took ex- took forever. It was inexorable. Mm-hmm. We'll get to it pretty soon, though. Plus, I mean, the whole like first five minutes of this episode is Helena putting together all the clues from the last episode, finally getting her shit together. Yeah, it's a recap. We open, we open yeah. the recap. Um, so yeah, they when we start episode two after the recap, um, the alien uh, does uh, 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 stuff. To Koenig, <laughs> he just kind of stands over and kind of drips on him. I don't know. He's... Koenig's like, ah, 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 ah. but he's not really doing anything to him. He doesn't have any arms or anything like appendages where he could, you know, you know, injure him or anything. He just kind yeah. of stands and drips on him. What are you gonna do? Bleed on me? <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, so Helena and Maya arrive in medical center to find Doctor Shaw checking on Koenig. When he leaves, Helena wakes John. 
Uh, she and Maya have brought a recording of the pilot ship approaching Earth to see if John will react favorably to prove that things are as they say they are. But when John sees the images, he tells him what he sees is not the pilot ship, but an eagle. He asks to consider. Uh, he asks him to consider the possibility that the brain complex shield shielded his mind from the telepathic control of the aliens. Maya starts to piece together some events of the last few days that do support help support his claims. Uh, Koenig wins him over when he mentions that time would have passed much faster on Earth than it has on Alpha, making their friends, their friends, hundreds of years older than they appeared. John convinces Helena to hook up Maya to the complex to affirm his story and help fight them if he is proven right. My favorite, my favorite part of the whole thing was, don't you find it peculiar that every one of them is related to you in some way? Yes. And they're like, uh, I didn't really think of that. Look at the part in his hair. <laughs> Look at the part in his hair. Right. I know. <laughs> oh, man. Carter Ehrlich and Bartlett, the uh, trio, uh, prepare to land on Earth. Um, and we get to see, like, Area metropolitan area city shot that is uh yeah like, work but it's really the nuclear domes on Alpha right it's so funny how they keep cutting to what they're hallucinating so right. looking out the window they're like oh look it's Earth oh look it's a big apple look uh, we're gonna sit down right in the city blah, blah, blah. And they cut out to stock footage right I'm like, I'm like wow the aliens got really good stock footage and yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I, I love there's a line from Alan like later on here. He's like, in the old days, they used to call this town the Big Apple. Right. So Maya's finished her treatment. She takes a look down the hall, sees alien creatures that Koenig has been describing. And when they believe to be wh what they believe to be the pilot ship lands, uh, not on Earth. That's why I already said the crew disembarks when they uh, believe they're checking into a hotel when they are in reality entering <laughs> one of the waste domes. I don't know how this stuff squares up at all. No, like what I, they're do, I hallucinating know what they're doing. Like there's one part later where he's holding a nuclear fuel canister and it's supposed to be his daughter. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm like, I, this just does not square up. Like I, I had, a, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I had canon that I'm like, okay, they're having this stuff play out in their minds, but the aliens are controlling their bodies. That was uh, all I could do to make it try to make sense. Right. Also those Big aliens crowded the room. Nobody bumped into them. Nobody, like, they're huge aliens into smaller people that, that visually, like, sure, but nobody bumped into a slimy alien or, like, when they touched. And I, <laughs> and like I said, they shamble like half as fast as they would walk as a human. Yeah. Right. And it's just, I don't know. I, there are a lot of, I have a lot of questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, how do they hallucinate their, with their spacesuits on? Like, do they not? Tell me, Mr. Feely. I need, I need answers. It was two parts. It was two parts. You had, you had long enough to explain. Yeah. Like, how, how, if they're, if they're like, like later they're in a dune buggy with some hot bikini babes or whatever when they're on their space buggy, but they're not hallucinating, but they're wearing spacesuits. Yeah. But in the hallucination, they're like on a beach or something. I don't know. I'm sorry. Right. I, I, I laugh. I have questions. Carter and whatever his name is getting in the Jeep with those girls and they show it like, oh, yeah, I know. that was so funny. Oh, oh my God. It's almost comedic. They're doing bad stuff. But when you like see what they're 
doing like where they're right. what they think they're seeing to what it is it's kind of comedic and i don't think it's intentionally comedic but i was enjoying uh laugh at that so uh on alpha koenig has maya turn into one of the alien creatures to find out what their purpose is and she's like oh but they're so repulsive i'm like really now we have a problem <laughs> oh it's okay now? for the, the the hairy frog guy with a slime all over him but this no the, this is repulsive okay fish minotaurs and stuff that right right no doubt know, like Okay, uh, I know it's not a fox, but geez. Um, so when they see her, they realize she is not one of the group and follow her. She hides in a doorway and barely manages to change back before they catch up. She right. tells John and Helena that they need the radiation to live, but only the intense radiation of a nuclear explosion. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's scientific. That's how it happens. Mm -hmm. Uh Koenig checks the location of the pilot ship crew. He locates their eagle by the nuclear waste drones. Now Maya can see the eagle as well, but Helena sees the pilot ship. Koenig finds the crew loading nuclear fuel into the moon buggy and has the, has computer lock them in the atomic fuel store. They immediately start to cut their way out with a laser. Like, what were they imagining when they were cutting out with a laser? Like, we laser, did, I don't think we yeah. got their fantasy there. I don't. I know the laser looks like a telescope on like a tripod, right? Right. So I'm like, what are they? What? What are they hallucinating? This I'm holding like a giant thing. And Helen is like, I'm sorry, I don't want to get too ahead of the story. It's just the, like the hoppy kitty babes in the doom buggy. Okay, maybe you know, mm -hmm. but what is the analog for this? I mean, what are they doing? It's like, oh, we were back home to Earth. Let's do this. You know, that I just didn't. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Didn't track. Didn't track. Right. So they start cutting out the laser and John rushes to go out and stop them, but is caught and stunned by Tony under the control of Dr. Shaw. Oh, and that shot. Oh, my God. That shot of um, what he saw, the version of Koenig he sees. Because, yeah. like, you know, they're, the aliens are controlling their brains or whatever. So he's standing next to one of them and they show this one shot of Koenig and he's like, Koenig's like, Tony, you've got to listen to me. And they cut it to Tony and they cut back to him and it's like this weird fisheye lens shot of Koenig coming at the camera with his arms extended like, you know, a, a, a Romero zombie. Yeah. <laughs> hilarious. Oh, gosh. When it gets to the launch pad four, he's brought back to medical center where Helena is chastised for not raising the alarm when Koenig broke loose. Koenig is secured and a security guard is left to keep watch. Maya stuns him so they can stop Alan and the others before they can trigger the waste domes. John wants Elena to process all the alphans on the brain complex to break the aliens' control. She says it would take too long, but comes up with another way to break the aliens' hold over them. The three head to command center to broadcast the white noise to everyone mm -hmm. on the base. Well, first, well, first Helena, well, first Helena tried to fall back on her old standby, drugs. Mm -hmm. Like, yes. every time, it's like, you know, drugs. Drugs are the answer. Prescriptions are going to help here. Right. Um, and then we're like, no, that would take too long. <laughs> right. So we have to do this like high pitched noise or whatever. Right. Uh, they, they're met with resistance as several security guards try to stop them on their way. Um, they arrive at command center and after stunning the guards there, hold everyone at gunpoint while Helena tries to activate the white noise. Dr. Shaw begins to take control of her, but Koenig kicks him away, takes the card and inserts it into the control panel. Very intense situation. Lots of suspense. Um, the sound breaks the aliens' control, and they are revealed for what they are. 
Everyone is shocked as their loved ones turn into hideous creatures. It's just a change of frame, folks. It's not like a transformation. Um, Tony shoots one, but Koenig tells him that they feed on energy. The creatures disappear, and they think they have defeated them until Koenig checks the nuclear waste area to see that Carter and Ehrlich are bringing the nuclear trigger to Bartlett as all three are still under the alien's control. Right. And Bartlett's doing the uh, radiation controls. He thinks he's at a stereo. I yeah. It cut a coy from uh, him to show the stereo. And we had another one of the great things, a uh, uh, great example of Space 199 signage here. Yes. Uh, a giant sign that says radiation shields. <laughs> and one side says closed. And one side says open. Hey, at least that one functions. Yeah, I guess. You're right. Uh, John, Tony, and Maya take an eagle out to stop them. Koenig orders all non-essential power cut on Alpha to lessen the available energy to the already starving aliens. They locate Carter and Ehrlich's moon buggy, but can't land in front of it due to the weight of the eagle. So Koenig has himself lowered to the surface (laughs) in a harness. There are um, special effects in the sequence that are maybe not as special as they had hoped. Right. The, the the lowering of the Koenig is one of them. Yes. And then you can absolutely tell that when you see um, uh, Alan and the other guy in the moon buggy, whether it is actually Alan and the other guy in the moon buggy or uh, a model, because the model is very obvious. Right. <laughs> oh, no, totally. One hundred percent yeah that that was i mean even when as as i'm saying it i'm sure a listener can imagine if they've seen space 1999 but not this episode could imagine their best attempts to pull right. that off so this scene where they lower a uh, canic down there kind of looks like they're just dangling an action figure right <laughs> onto the set hey we tried yeah uh, hey, you know we didn't have usually, time you know what to be uh, to be fair though for the budget and everything they usually do a pretty good job yeah they're pretty good their model works really good on this show yeah it's just this, 90 percent of the time yeah yeah this episode kind of stuck out yeah uh his attempts to talk to carter and ehrlich fail he tries to wave them down but they see him as a, as a mass nin- bandit as a ninja i thought he looked like, like a ninja, ninja. Yeah, no it's like a ninja yeah like why is he a ninja yeah it's yeah, it's wild because I guess uh, Ninja Bad. Um, right, I guess so. After narrowly missing Koenig with the moon buggy, they get out and attack him. Seeing this in the eagle, Tony lowers Maya to even the odds. And so we get Alan versus Koenig not once but twice in this episode. Twice, twice. This is the first one. Uh, I love the slow motion spacesuits when they yes. fight, and uh, the six space jazz <laughs> yes. while they fight. Which is really cool. Um, I, I got to say, though, this whole sequence goes on forever. Oh, my God. It went on forever. And when you realize it's not the finale of the sequence, you're no, like, not oh, at all. gosh. And, like, you're not even maybe halfway through describing it all. Go ahead. No, no, I'm not. Uh, Maya arrives as they remove the, uh, his oxygen hose, and he pulls them off. Ehrlich's air tank is punctured in the fray. Punctured? No. The guy, they show him, like, they sh- they show him specifically unscrewing it from right. the helmet. And I'm thinking, why does he just pull it from the helmet? But no, they take, like, three shots of him unscrewing it from the helmet. This little arrow that you could have easily yanked out. I'm just... And this, is this this where Maya turns into like a minotaur thing? Yes, it was like and, a space minotaur. And I'm like, 
okay, like, this is a much cooler thing than we saw them in the last episode fight. That was a Minotaur-esque thing. Like, okay. Uh, and also, I have a question. What happened to her spacesuit when she changed into the Minotaur? Good question. Like, the suit itself is not a metamorph. She Good put question. that suit on. Um, right. Well, it's like with the kendo suit before. Yeah. Like, th- this is a this one ex- especially, because you're in space. Right. And, like, this, when she changes into something, does she get its, like, full-on physical capabilities? I guess so. Because apparently she needs a spacesuit when walking on the moon. But when she turns it, like, why didn't she, why, how about when she goes on the moon, why didn't she just turn into something else that can, like, breathe out? I, I have questions, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I understand your issues. I, I have questions. Um, They're valid. I normally yeah. am pretty forgiving and pretty like, okay, well, it's, you know, sci-fi TV from the 70s. But I'm, I'm really. I'm, I'm, well, eventually, there's going to be a straw that breaks your metaphorical camel's back. Right. I'm like, all right, you now broke my imagination. Okay. Special um, disbelief broken. Bye now. Yeah, <laughs> I lose myself in your show so much, but this one time. <laughs> uh, yeah, the verisimilitude so, of Space 1999 is such that I lose myself in their world. Right. <laughs> so uh, while Koenig and Maya steal the air tank, Alan takes off on the moon buggy. Koenig pursues on foot while Maya gets Ehrlich back to the Eagle. Alan arrives at the waste domes and brings in the nuclear trigger while Bartlett brings in the laser they will use to seal the door shut. <laughs> the laser is a telescope on a tripod. The nuclear trigger is a decorative trash can. It is. Just wanted to mention that. Just, imagination. Uh, Koda gets there to find all the aliens gathered around the waste dome. He contacts Maya, who assures them they are all they are focusing all their energy controlling Carter and Bartlett and cannot harm him. Koenig tries to open the door with his com link or com lock, but he can't. Uh, he sees it has been sealed with a laser and tries ramming the door with the moon buggy to break it loose in slow motion. In slow motion. <laughs> After several attempts, he breaks through. He contacts Maya and asks why the aliens are still able to control Carter and Bartlett, and she speculates that the electrical activity of the brains of the Alphans may be enough to keep the aliens at survival length level. Sorry. <laughs> uh, John contacts Helena to have and has her knock out everyone on the base, but the chief engineer and herself. So drugs, sure. gas, stuff. And I, I will say, Dr. Helena Russell knows how to properly wear a mask. I know that, that nowadays, yeah. Yes. Cover her nose, all, cover her mouth, cover her chin. She's all about the tranquilizers. And uh, with the knockout thing, she's like, oh, yeah, I got that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Give me five minutes. I'll have it all set. Koenig finds Carter and Bartlett preparing to place the fuel into the core. He stops Bartlett, who then breaks free of the alien's control and manages to pin Alan to the ground. This, all right. This, this is, is a, This is fucking awesome set. This is the Matrix. They have. The this Matrix. The scene. No, the scene... I'm sorry, go ahead. We're talking about the same scene, right? Where Bartlett, where the Katie big and Alan red are corridor that is humongous? Yes. Right. Well, that, that's look like it was out of like Truffaut's Fahrenheit 451 or something. Right. This is huge. And like, I'm like, whoa, like this episode did not deserve this set. Like, it makes why? me wonder if it's the location, to be honest. The location, or yeah, because like you had this and you, I guess it's the big you know, climax, let's have it in a cool place. But I was stunned. I'm like, this is, whoa. Yeah. Especially with all the, like, you know, styrofoam caves and, uh, you know, kind of clapboard sets we're used to seeing. It's very, very Kubrick looking. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, it's really cool. Kind of blew me away. So, 
Yeah, we have Koenig versus Carter round two. Uh, he asked Bartlett for help, but between the alien's hypnotic words, hypnotic words and whatever mind control they are able to manage in their weakened state, Bartlett is no help. He's offering them the Matrix. Yeah. He, this is exactly the oh, same yeah, yeah. deal they offered Joey Pants in the Matrix. Right. Because they're trying to talk to Bartlett. He's like, you would, you could live your dreams forever, and you wouldn't have to worry about, you know, you wouldn't have to live on this rock. You wouldn't have to be part of this it reality. Is, yeah. Oh, it's exactly the same thing. I'm just watching this. I'm like, did Space 1999 just do The Matrix? Yeah. Well, it, <laughs> it, it might co- be on my mind because I just saw the new movie, but I, I don't know. It's just, but it goes on for a long time. Right. Too, like for like five minutes, they're talk- he's like, Bartlett, help me. Uh, live your dreams forever. Never go back to that rock. And they just show this like balding British dude looking confused. And they come back to Kenning, help me. <laughs> just. It's a little sequence that goes on way too long, but right. yeah, well, like it's totally the Matrix deal. It is, one thousand percent. Alan breaks free, gets the upper hand over Koenig, and chokes him to into unconsciousness, and picks up the nuclear fuel again, and staggers toward the core. John wakes in time to stop him from fully inserting the fuel. They struggle oh, wow. until Koenig punches Alan, knocking him out. The aliens tell Koenig that he is a truly primitive organism, telling him that they could have given the Alphans an eternity of happiness and in an instant of time. Koenig replies that it's better to live as your own man than as a fool in someone else's dream. <laughs> I wrote that down. Cue the rage against the machine. And as soon as he says that, they disappear. It's like yep. his <laughs> it's like his epigraph powers made them go away. <laughs> and you know what? I'd be fine if the credits rolled here, but guess what? Oh, we need the cute ending with the not really joke in it. Right. Back in command center, Tony, Maya, Alan, Helena, and John watch as the alien ship on the launch pad fades away. John asks Helena if there's any way to wake up his sleeping crew. She tells him no, but it will only be about 10 more minutes until they should start to wake up. John asks how he is supposed to run a base of sleeping beauties and sits down before Helena can finish reminding him that it was his idea to sedate everyone she turns to see that he has fallen asleep in his chair. Oh, 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 oh my ribs are tickled. And there's also like oh. Maya lifts Tony and there's like this fake laughter that really yeah. sucks. And you're like, yeah. ha, ha. Oh, aren't we having fun? And what a freeze frame. Maya, Russell, Tony, Carter, all mid chuckle or arms yeah. crossed. Like, right. It's like tonight it's at up. seven space, 1999 <laughs> here on your local Fox affiliator. <laughs> ABC or whatever. Alternately, last known photo of of cast. <laughs> right. Oh gosh, yeah. So, uh, fun epilogue to this. Both episodes of this two-parter were edited together to make a the film Destination Moonbase Alpha Ooh. that was utilized to cash in on the success of Star Wars and the craze people had for sci-fi after it. So Ooh. this was put together and re-released in 1977. Wow. Hey, you guys, uh, we got we got something like space and, and ships and shit. We got something like just to throw. So, the kids, TV shows. so I hear the kids are crazy about the Star Wars. Well, listen, I got something here for you. Exactly. Yeah. So this I like Jim, you pointed out that this did not need to be two parts. No. And oh, no. I, and it's weird, though, because. <laughs> I don't think the first episode has enough to be an episode one, but I don't, I, but I think the second episode has too much that 
it can't pair with the first episode to make a neat, like, what are these, 48, 50 minute episode? Like, it's, it, uh, yeah, it's weird. Like, I don't think the second like one is, I don't think the second one's long enough either, but I yeah. think the second one has, an, has more going for it that it couldn't stuff the first one in and make the run. To, I mean, I'm sure you could somehow, but you could speed up the Koenig in a coma stuff. There's so much padding. You don't need dude. eight fights. There's so the much end. padding. That giant uh, fight outside with the moon buggy and everything took freaking forever. Yeah. Um, There's so many things, ways this was padded and could have been cut down. Um, and should have, but was not. So. Yeah, I mean, ah, the the alien, the the Matrix stuff, or like the living in that reality. That's that's a thing, but oh, I don't know. It. It's a long road to hoe to get there. Yeah, it's a yeah. I ooh, this was a yeah, an interesting experiment they had with two, two back to back, a uh, two parter. Um, didn't quite work, but this is also seventies television. How many seventies two parters worked? That's true. For, for dramas, for for 50, 45, 50 minute dramas, like. The, but like for two parters, I mean, we, I mean, we have the comparison of actual good series two parters, right? Like, uh, I don't know, Best of Both Worlds from Next Generation, maybe. That's, or, like, uh, that's like fifteen years later, though. Right, right. Uh, well, I'm saying, I'm saying right. we have that now, you know, to, to kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. By and this isn't that kind of thing. I mean, usually with the series when they have a two parter, it's some great dramatic overarching story that's going to be a huge deal and sometimes it's a season ender you know or whatever this was just two parts and i think it was two parts because they needed an extra episode to pad out the, the season you know yeah really... like a, a script wasn't working so they doubled up on one of them right something like that i'm sure there's unused space 1999 scripts that that always happens but yeah um but yeah it didn't quite work oh, yeah well. yeah we what are you it. gonna do right right <laughs> Uh, well, that'll do it for another Moon Buggy Adventure. In the meantime, Jim, where can people find you? Well, on a weekly basis, you can listen to me with Daryl Taylor and Donnie Salvo at the Taylor Network of Podcast.com. We do a little show called Nothing's On, uh, where we talk about the week's worth of entertainment news. The news that doesn't matter. Uh, you can catch us uh, with your Amazon Alexa. Just say, hey, play the Nothing's On podcast, and it will. It's incredible. I've tried it myself. Uh, also, over at HHWLOD.com, you can uh, check out the Walking Dead TV podcast. These shows will be coming back in about, I think, two and a half weeks, three weeks from when we're recording this. Uh, we have been following these shows since the very first episode, and we will be around till the very last episode. And we are gearing up for a new season of The Parent Show and of Fear of the Walking Dead coming up soon. So check that out, HHWLOD.com. Excellent. Uh, hashtag Guidos in Space. <laughs> And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD. Written work at YSOBlue.com. There's more from the Brandon Peters Show this week. And uh, this one's Eric. Oh, tomorrow's my birthday. Yay! Happy birthday, buddy. All right. Until then. Alpha out. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. 
Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.